Hang on, we'll get you out, by Richard Schneider. The words were meant to be reassuring, but for the two men clinging to oily cables 35 storeys up in the giant chimney, the question was, how? Robert Ebeling sensed there was something ominous about the giant chimney looming over him that cloudy September morning in 1977. In his 33 years, he had never worked inside a thing like that. Towering 200 metres, its top scraped the muddy clouds that rolled across the sky. A thunderstorm was expected. But his partner, Bob Silver, a burly 45-year-old construction worker, had worked on chimney jobs before and seemed confident. The two men and their support crew had been engaged to apply a sealer to the inner liner of the main chimney at a powerhouse in Portage, Wisconsin. Stepping inside the damp, echoing, 15-metre-wide base, Ebeling peered up through 60 storeys of black tubing with a bullseye view of the sky. He felt better when he saw the sturdy scaffold on which he and Silver would work. The frame was made of four aluminium beams overlaid with heavy planks of timber, forming a platform. Four steel cables soared to the chimney top. Attached to each cable was a small electric motor to power their ascent and descent. The men stepped onto the platform and rode to the top, where the chimney narrowed to six and a half metres in diameter. Tall lightning rods sprouted from the chimney's mouth, which was ringed by a narrow catwalk. Wind snapped at their overalls. By 6pm they had sprayed the thick black sealer about 75 metres down. They had another 20 minutes to work that day when Ebeling switched on a motor to level his end of the platform. The corner of the scaffold glided down, but the motor wouldn't switch off. Frantically he flipped the switch on and off. The scaffold dipped 30 degrees. A big drum of sealer slid off the edge and crashed 100 metres below with a hollow boom. The platform sank farther. The planks were sliding. Struggling to the high side of the platform, Ebeling screamed into the intercom that a motor wouldn't shut off. Silver was bellowing, Cut the power! Cut the power! Bob Silver's son, 25-year-old Mark, was at the bottom of the chimney, operating the sealer pump. He heard Ebeling cry out, then his father shriek, Headache! The construction worker's warning for falling objects. Mark and a co-worker leapt through a side door, just as the drum crashed to the bottom, exploding. Mark ran back to hear the two men screaming, Cut the power! Pull the plug! The power cable was nine metres up in the scaffolding. Mark climbed it like a monkey, grabbed the cable and jumped, his fall ripping the plug from its socket. Picking himself up from the floor, he dashed for help. As more planks slid off the aluminium frame, Ebeling and Silver each lunged for a cable. The oily braided steel didn't afford much grip, but by wrapping their legs round it and using all their strength, they found that they could support themselves. Finally, the motor's power was cut and the foreman shouted up, I'll get help! The platform dangled crazily, creaking from its own weight. For an hour, the two men hung above 35 stories of emptiness. Every so often, someone at the base would yell, Don't worry, we'll get you! Three hours passed. God in heaven, where is everybody? Ebling pleaded, his body crying out with pain and exhaustion. 
He thought how simple it would be just to let go and fall into the velvety blackness. The first help to arrive was the fire brigade. Volunteer John Cuse climbed into a construction bucket and a local helicopter pilot tried to lower it into the chimney. But the bucket was spinning wildly in the wind and the manoeuvre was like threading a needle in the dark. Abandoning the effort as too dangerous, Fire Chief Clayton Simonson called in the Air National Guard. No one knew what to do. In the chimney, Ebling suddenly felt his grip slipping. God help us, he moaned. I can't hold on any longer. Sharp metal slivers stung his hands as he slipped down helplessly. Then his feet struck a projection on the cable. The motor. It gave some support. Slide down to the motor, he told Silver. It helps a little. Now all they heard was an occasional faint call reassuring them. Hang on, we'll get you out. It became obvious that someone had to be on top of the chimney to help. Joe Ishii, a 29-year-old iron worker, volunteered. About 9.30, Joe, dangling below a helicopter on a seven-metre cable, was lifted off the ground to the catwalk near the top of the chimney. He had a two-way radio to communicate both with the men on the ground and with Ebling and Silver. How are you? he called to them. Cold was the answer. Joe called down for coats, plus 200 metres of rope and safety belts. Now it was midnight. The two men's throats were parched. It had been 12 hours since they'd had food or water. Thunder rumbled, echoing up and down the vertical tunnel. Then rain slashed them in long strings of needle-sharp ice. For God's sake, Ebling screamed into the wind. Somebody help us! The intercom crackled. We've got an Air National Guard helicopter coming in. Finally, Ebling and Silver heard the chopper overhead. For an instant they saw winking lights, but then these blurred and disappeared. Fog. The wind was too fierce and the fog too thick for the pilot to stabilise over the chimney. The lightning rods also were a hazard. Again came the voice on the intercom. A giant Chinook helicopter was on its way. Meanwhile, four men had been lifted to the catwalk at the top of the chimney. Soon two nylon slings and two coats were fed slowly down the 75 metres. Ebling and Silver were told to slip into the slings and not worry if the platform went. The straps would hold. It was 1am, and wind sucked at their water-soaked clothing. Oh, Father, help us to hold on, Ebeling prayed. Coast Guard Lieutenant Rick Horsechild arrived in the big jet-powered copter with Navy Lieutenant Jeff Kaler, his co-pilot, and Coast Guard Air Crewman Dave Larson. Horsechild thought back on the many other helicopter rescues he had made in his nine years with the Coast Guard, helping to save more than 200 lives but he was worried. He had never attempted a rescue like this before. At 4am, Ebling and Silver heard a helicopter, but saw nothing. A subdued voice on the intercom explained that the pilot was not only fighting fog, wind, darkness, and tall invisible spikes, but was trying to drop a bucket cage into a very small opening. Rescue is impossible now, the voice continued. We must wait until the wind dies and the fog lifts. Maybe by dawn. For a long time the tunnel was silent. Only the wind boomed through the steel tube. Suddenly, again, the men heard a helicopter. 
In a last desperate attempt, with Horsechild at the controls, the chopper lowered the wind whirled bucket to the men on the catwalk. Miraculously, they caught it, and disengaging the bucket from the chopper's line, they shackled it to 75 metres of steel cable. Hand over hand, they lowered the bucket into the chimney. This cable would then be joined with the helicopter's line. There was a sudden banging of metal, and the two men in the chimney squinted up to see the basket, looking like a tiny dot, descending in the dim light. As it swung in circles between them, Ebelin caught it, then realised that the metal cage, 60 centimetres square and one and a half metres high, could hold only one person. Get in, ordered Silver. They'll get me right away. Weak and shaking, Ebeling managed to squeeze his stiff body inside, then called, Ready! The cage lifted crazily. Dear God, thank you, he gasped. I'm getting out. He could hear the helicopter labouring against the wind. Suddenly the basket shuddered, hesitated, and began falling. As it neared the platform, Ebeling shut his eyes, fearing the blow would send the platform to the bottom. Then the basket jerked up again and seemed to fly. Ten metres, twenty, twenty-five. But again it stopped, and again it dropped sickeningly. Oh God, Ebeling prayed, help Silver. Horsechild knew how vital it was to lift the cage straight up. Any sideways drift of his craft could snap the cable on the chimney's lip. The helicopter slowly rose three metres, six, nine metres. Suddenly it entered thick clouds and Horsechild could see nothing. Assailed by fear, disoriented, he trembled at the controls. Crewman Dave Larson, who was calling directions, began correcting him rapidly. Right! Left! Left more! There was still more than 65 metres to climb. Horsechild prayed. Oh God, it's you and me, we've got to do it. He felt a steadying strength. His hands relaxed on the controls. Now Larson sang out in easier tones. Right, easy, hold. You're doing better, Lieutenant. Then he called out, he's free. Again the basket was climbing, then suddenly Ebling was outside. Tears streamed down his face as the basket, now swinging in a 60-metre circle, began settling to the earth. Someone helped him into an ambulance. As it rushed to hospital, Ebling prayed for silver hoping they would soon get him out. The two men had been trapped in that chimney for 19 hours without food or water. Horsechild took off again with the metal cage, but by now the heavy cloud cover had sunk halfway down the chimney. The rescue attempt would have to wait. How long, Silver wondered, alone in the wind-moaning chimney. Then a familiar voice called up from the loudspeaker. It was his son, Mark, telling him the rescue had to be called off until the weather cleared. Silver's heart sank. He felt sure the cable holding the scaffolding would eventually snap. Guess this is it, son, he sighed. I wish I could get it over with straight away. Mark's eyes brimmed with tears. He realised how vital it was to keep up his father's spirits. Dad, he called up the echoing chimney. God won't let you die. Hours later, looking up the chimney, Silver saw a misty glow, the dawn. But a dense fog still clung to the area. Hunched on the scaffolding, he felt warm tears trickle down his cold cheeks. 
Down below, Mark was waiting anxiously. I love you, Mark, Silver called, his voice breaking. Not until 11.30 in the morning did the fog begin rising. Mark shouted that the helicopter was coming. Again, Horsechild lowered the cage, manoeuvring it to the men on the catwalk, who in turn lowered it to Silver. Silver was told to get inside. Suddenly, Silver felt the basket jerk upward. I'm moving! From below, Mark watched the cage get smaller until it disappeared out the top of the chimney. Editor's note, neither Bob Silver nor Bob Ebling suffered serious injuries during their long ordeal, and soon both were able to return to work. For their courageous part in the rescue, Horsechild, Larson and Kayla were awarded medals. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Listener.